Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Uh, the other thing, I read an interesting article today, actually, I think it was Gregor Paul and the Herald talking about fringe All Blacks and whether they should be picked on the end of the year tour to go or whether they should go on the New Zealand A Tour because they'll get a lot more game time. And it made a lot of sense. I mean, Roger Tuivasa-Shek, in my opinion, you put him on the New Zealand A Tour and let him start at second five. You take a lot of those players that Lester Fayananuku, uh, Fayananuku was another one. No, it wasn't. It was um, Fakatava, the halfback. And they're saying maybe you put him on the New Zealand A Tour so that he gets plenty of game time and put Bragg Weber in the All Blacks as that cover, as that third string halfback or even a TJ Perinara perhaps. Where do you sit on this? It made sense. Too many of our fringe All Blacks just haven't played enough rugby this year. And you know the stupid dumb thing is that next year, because they've been part of the All Black squad, they'll be told during Super Rugby they've got to have a week off. Can somebody tell me how our All Black players having a forced week off, this is an addition to weeks off that they might just have because their own coaches decide to give them a rest because they're playing a lesser side or they're just having weeks off because of injury or a concussion. So they're actually having weeks off and resting anyway. Can someone tell me how that helped the All Blacks this year. We've just dumbed it down so much, haven't we? We have just dumbed it down so much. And now these players believe it. We can't play 14 test matches a year. Yet you look at the NFL, 17 regular season games, I think it is now, admittedly. Um, Gridiron, yeah, positions are very, very precise and you're really out there for such a small period of time. But you look at how many games the English Premier League footballers play. Look how much baseball is 160 regular season. NBA, I think, is 84. Um, and, and, and this is the other thing. And please feel free, 0800 150 You don't have to talk, Raven, talk anything you want, but I just want to see if we can get, maybe get a little bit of talk on this and we'll get Ben on the program in one moment. But I don't want to hear how tired the All Blacks are. I don't want to hear them losing to Wales, Scotland or England in the last test and we go, oh, look, it's been a long season. They're having another two or three weeks off now. They have so much time off. They have so many weeks where they don't play. And when they are available to play, the teams are often changed in and out anyway. So you're not guaranteed to start every week. The other thing I did have to laugh at was Ian Foster coming out in the paper with a well, comment the other day, oh, we're only going to get better. The best is yet to come. Didn't we hear that two years ago? 22 minutes after nine, Ben. 
I was going to make a quick point. It's quite interesting with the amount of uh, Super Rugby games because you look at like the English Premiership, those guys play 24 games before finals. United Rugby Championship play about 18, 19. And you've also got, for the best teams, they got all the European competitions as well. So they are playing a lot more well, rugby. Liverpool played 64 games last year, Liverpool Football Club. 64. Incredible, eh? 90 minutes a game, sometimes three games a week. Steve, good evening. Yeah, good evening, Mario. Yeah, yeah. Good, thank you. Good, lovely to hear from you, my good man. Yeah, no, no problems, mate. Just tuning in as I'm <clears throat> driving back from uh, back from Tauranga. Um, interesting what you say. Uh, you know, off, off the Tauranga Fussy, um, put in a good effort for a good ship for Northland uh, against uh, Bay of Fiji and the, um, the Bunnings NPC at Tauranga this afternoon. And, you know, you could just see the guy just wanted to get out and contribute. So I'm with you, mate. I don't think it does these guys any good whatsoever being basically cotton walls with the group. You know, I think I think there's a lot of guys here. That's that's my concern. Even as they go go into this um, northern hemisphere phase, that if you have one or two injuries, all of a sudden you've actually got to bring guys in who haven't had a whole lot of rugby, and that's. That, to me, is really concerning. Yeah, look, uh, look, we, we have done it. Then I'll say this. I remember 2000 when we won that World Cup. The best two players that we were Jerome Kano and were Jerome Kano and um, Kevin, Kevin Mialamu. And those guys, from memory, mate, they played all the Super Rugby, they played a little bit of Mitre 10 Cup, and they played all the way through that World Cup, and they were magnificent. Now, you even go back, Stephen, to when Graham Henry first took over, and we had record wins in France, I think, in 2005, or may have won a Grand Slam in 2005 over there, 2006. Record wins at the end of the year against the French, uh, against all the Northern Hemisphere sides. You know, the boys were playing all of Super Rugby. They were playing some ITM Cup and then what happened in 2007? Well, we decided that the players needed to rest. We decided to bring in rest and rotation. We had a winning formula. We changed it up and we ended up losing. And we seem to continue to do it. But if someone can demonstrate to me genuinely that these guys resting is benefiting, I'll buy into it. But tell me, tell me how it worked this year. It hasn't worked this year. These guys need to play. And talking to Justin Marshall on one of the Sunday shows that I've done with Justin, he said, mate, he was gutted when he wasn't allowed to play. He said, I wanted to play, I wanted to play every game. And if we actually asked the players if they want to play every game. Are you there, mate? It just might have dropped out. He's in his car. Are you there, Stephen? Yeah, no, no, still there, mate. I, you just went out, went out for a moment. Yeah, I totally agree. And we've seen too many examples of this where guys have had to come in because of injuries and... And, and they just look short of a gallop. Yeah, but there's always going to be a natural attrition rate with any team, aren't there? There's always going to be the guy that's going to get injured that's naturally going to be forced to have a week or two weeks. You know, sometimes, you know, it's, it's not even, even when they do play, they're not actually playing 80 minutes. Most of them are only playing bloody 50. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's, hey, how did, how did Northland go? Oh, listen, for them, it was a, it was a must-win game down at the Tauranga Domain this afternoon, and it, it, it took a, a clutch from uh, Dan Hawkins to win the game right at the end, but it, uh, it keeps them in the, in the, in the hunt for the uh, quarterfinals, but um, they do need a couple of results to go their way. I think uh, they've made to beat Tasman. That game's being played in Napier on the weekend. There's a couple of other 
permutations as well that could go their way. But I suppose more than anything else, they've, they've given themselves a chance. So their last game is up in uh, Kaikoui on, uh, on Sunday. Mm. But in the main, it was really good. And, and like I say, it was really good to see Ofatuanga Fussy. And, and he really contributed. I actually think he might have, uh, might have actually picked up the... Um, on the player of the day for Norfolk. Yeah, no, look, and again, just play, guys, play. I mean, Hoskins, Satudu, uh, you know, all of these guys, please, they're the best rugby players in New Zealand and they're not playing and it's not helping New Zealand rugby. Steve, hey, drive carefully. I look forward to catching up with you next Friday, my good man. Thank you. Stephen Harris there. Um, lovely to have him on the programme. Um, very, very good rugby brain on him. Very good rugby brain. Uh, very knowledgeable. Spends a lot of time watching club rugby, a lot of time provincial rugby, does some commentary. And I've got a lot of time for what Stephen has to say. In fact, he's one of my go-to guys sometimes behind the scenes as well, just to get his thoughts on some stuff. But come on, let's just play. Have our best players playing. We'll take a break. We've had a few guys phoning through. We're going to come back to them. Our lines are open. 0800 What's this personal Jesus? It's uh, Uprising by Muse. Oh, okay, Uprising by Muse. I recognise. I thought it might have been um, Marilyn Manson there for a moment. Don't think so. No, no. Okay. Hey, um, 29, 28 minutes away from nine. Hey, great that people are phoning through. We'll get to them in one moment. Really good text that's come in. Jerry Collins wanted to play every game possible. And no one to use a different name, but it was kind of obvious. I do recall, though, All Black Management threatened to tear his contract up if he continued to play when asked not to. think he then returned to one of his old jobs, being a dusty on the rubbish bin run. Yeah, I mean, I'm a sportsman. You want you, you want to play, man. You want to play. As a kid, I was so devastated when games were postponed or cancelled. Anyway, let's go to the phones. Hi, Brent. Yeah, hi, mate. Good, thanks. What a Yeah. You're right, brother. Yeah, good, mate. We're too top heavy, eh? We are. It's all about the, the ABs and nothing about underneath, whereas when I started in 69, it was all about underneath. You know, well, well, like, all the clubs and that matter, they man. Yeah, and it doesn't matter anymore. And Brent, what I say, mate, is you've got to have no. top. You've got to have top. You've got to have top down to inspire, but you've got to have bottom up, or you don't have any top down. Correct. It's a house of cards, mate. Yeah, it's coming right, crumbling down, Brent. What a you know when you talk about having to turn up. What about those huge tours we did in the UK and South Africa? Do you think those guys said, "No, I'm not available"? No. Oh, look, we, we, we've dumbed it down, Brent. We have dumbed it down, mate. Everybody's tired now, you know. I even see it in... I it's even the detriment of our game. Yep, and, and it's where sports science has had too much influence. And, you know, look, some days... I, I always remember this, Brent. Um, I used to sit down with a, a rain coach by the name of Arthur Liddy, the great, and he said, look, throw the heart rate monitors away, Mark. He, because sometimes yeah. the heart rate monitor, if you read them, they tell you you were tired. So you, you know, so you'd say, "Well, my heart rate's telling me I'm tired. I won't train today." There was a number of times where I turned up to sessions and I felt really, really tight. But I never made the decision on how tired I was until I started. And nine out of ten times, once I started, I actually came right and actually had some really good workouts. Now, if I had to listen to the heart rate monitor or listen to the sports scientists, I would have missed half my training sessions. Great. Yeah. What a. That's the big problem in the rugby, right? Yeah. The, profes- the professionalism has been to the detriment in the entire game because it's become over-analysed and guys are getting breaks. They're not available to play for their province. Jesus, what do I can remember? Wellington players playing the last test against South Africa and then the following day going to Waikato and taking the shield and the title. 
I, I look, there's stories even going back to guys like Mark Shaw playing the British and Irish Lions here in 83 and, you know, the next day fronting for Manawa too. I, I mean, you know, it, 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 yeah, you keep, dumb, you know, you keep dumbing it down and everybody believes in it. You keep lifting the standards and everybody will raise to those standards. Who, what rugby club in Wellington, Brent? Mate, my first club was Borrow. Yep. But yeah, mate, the the club thing was strong as a eh, mate. You had all those lower levels playing excellent rugby, you know, and you could see the guys that were going to. Ma- and you and I know what that some good players still missed out on those top teams, but we had that depth, eh, mate. Yep. No, and we're in trouble now, Brent. Hey, Brent, lovely to have you on the program. Really appreciate you phoning through. Thank you. Uh, you're a patriot. You're a good man. Mark from Sydney, welcome. Hello, Mark. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. I hope the weather's better over there than it is here tonight. We're having a filthy New Zealand-worthy thunderstorm. I've got my two German shepherds inside here with me because they hate storms. So, yes, it's an interesting uh, meteorological experience here tonight. Not too bad here. Not too bad here today, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. What can I do for you tonight, Mark? Well, I was... Uh, calling to say that I'd agree totally with what you were saying about New Zealand rugby. It's too top-heavy. It needs to be bottom up again because, I mean, if you make it too top-heavy, you're going to have... There's only a limited number of roles for uh, guys who actually, and women who actually get on the field. Well it's said. Gonna discourage, yeah. It's going to discourage people from wanting to be an all-black. And, um, you know, they'll be going to other sports or... Um, quitting the game altogether. So, you know, New Zealand loses out on uh, tremendous opportunities to develop uh, tremendous potential All Blacks, you know, both male and female. Yeah, well, look, Mark, I think one of the uh, really bad byproducts of all of this is too, we're seeing a lot more of our coaches now heading off overseas and we're losing all of our intellectual property. You know, I remember, I think it was, I think it was two... When we won the World Cup in 2015, there was a big discussion. Oh, we've got to sign up Kieran Reid and we've got to sign up this player. We don't want them going overseas. We need them. And there's a fear they will go. And I'm like, mate, they're just suckering you into spending another two or $300,000 a year on them. My answer is let them go. If they want to go, if the romance of the all-black jersey's gone and seven, dollars $800,000 a year is not enough and only a million dollars is going to keep you here, go. Because I would rather see that money then being spent on the retention of our coaches and say the only way you're going to keep our coaches here is firstly, let's pay them well. And I'd pay coaches more than I'd be paying a lot of the players, the good ones, but let's make sure we've got really robust competitions so there's actually some meaning to what they're doing. There's actually some real importance placed on their role. Okay, it's not the all-black job, but, man, you're in charge of one of the great provincial sides in this country and what a competition we've got to look forward to and hey you're, you're a coach of one of the great super rugby sides and look what this means and these roles are so coveted but you know we, we've given all Absolutely. that up and all and, and, and you know the problem is you go and so say you go and sign a Kieran Reid up well he and I'm only just using Kieran as an example it could be a whole lot of players but what's to stop them from suddenly getting a major knee reconstruction they miss two years meanwhile meanwhile you know, we've got no money to keep our top coaches here, and they're saying, well, you know, I'll go and coach England, I'll go and coach the club clubs over there. This is the way we do it in the Southern Hemisphere, and, you know, next minute, next minute, what's happening? The Northern Hemisphere now is the benchmark, not the Southern Hemisphere. That's right. I mean, I think there's two things with that. Number one, well, three, actually. Number one, I'm a big Buller fan because I used to live in Murchison. My mum was from there, and I've got family in Westport, and... Uh, around the country, but, you know, Buller at heart, and so I'm a fervent Buller supporter. But also, I think there's both pros and cons if coaches go overseas. The pros is that they gain tremendous experience. 
that they may not get in New Zealand. And they can bring that experience back to New Zealand if they're offered the right incentive. And number two, if Rugby New Zealand um, actually gets their brains in gear, like you said, they will offer coaches good salary packages. And yes, they should be, if they deserve it, it should be more than the players. Because I think having New Zealand coaches at home not only boosts the profile of New Zealand sport, like not only rugby union, but New Zealand sport in general, because they can see how good New Zealand coaches are, which would then um, have a positive effect on the players because good coaches means good players. And then that would boost New Zealand sport, both rugby union and as a whole, with regard to good profiles. And then it would also promote the ability to develop future coaches. Like, if young people can look at a New Zealand, say, rugby union coach, be it male or female, and think, okay, they are not only good themselves, but they've been uh, brought up, as it were, in New Zealand with a good, uh, shall we say, coaching track record, like education, practical experience in being a coach on the field with good teams. I could do that. Because it would, to me, if New Zealand rugby adopted that kind of approach, it would be good not just in bringing to like the maximum potential level current coaches and players, but future coaches and players as well. And I think that's the problem with New Zealand rugby, among many at the moment, is that they're too blanket. Like you say, they focus too much on the All Blacks and they're not focused on broadening their perspective to uh, keep New Zealand rugby at a grassroots level healthy, thereby and opening channels to enable future players and future coaches, both male and female, to develop within New Zealand, develop New Zealand coaching talent, and broaden the ability of New Zealand sporting as uh, markets as a whole. Yeah, no, well said, Mark. Really well said. I agree completely. Hey, lovely to have you on the program as always. Thank you. Don't be a stranger to the show. 0800 150 uh, Lines are open. I love this. We're just talking about... You know, how much our top players don't play and whether some of our fringe All Blacks should actually just go on that New Zealand A Tour this year so they actually get regular game time. Roger Tui Vasa Sheik, um, really, really good example. Hoskins a tutu. Um, you know, th- those players that have sort of been uh, less, uh, not Whaianganuku, um, Whakatau, the halfback out of Dunedin, out of um, the Highlanders. Just get them some game time. They just haven't had any game time. I, I like this text that's coming. I recall the third test against the Springboks in 1981. The following day, the Manawatu and Wellington players, Gary Knight, Frank Oliver, Mark Shaw, Mark Donaldson, Lockie Cameron, Stu Wilson, Alan Houston, Murray Mixted took their places in what was the decider of the first division competition athletic park. No doubt with hangovers, but that that, uh, but there was no rest for them. Agree. You know, everyone says, oh, no one's ever going to run a sub four minute mile. One guy goes out and does it. Everybody else suddenly starts running sub four minute mile. They once said that women couldn't run marathons because their uterus would fall out. By the way, if you're talking about a whole lot of women, it's called uteri. I've always, I don't know why I know that. Um, and now we've got people like Erin Baker. We've got women doing Ironmans all around the world. Stop telling us what we can't do, man. Ben. It's quite funny just seeing the text that came through and talking about Stu Wilson. We had Stu Wilson on, on the Saturday session early, earlier this year about Great part guy. of our Legends segment, and he actually spoke about this, and he said that he went into his work on Monday, and he said the reception lady was like, didn't know anything about rugby, and she's like, hey, Stu, how are you? How was your weekend? And he said he stunk like a brewery, had a cut head, and he's just like, oh, fantastic, mowed the lawns on Saturday, read the paper on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, he's one of the great guys. He goes, Mark, when I first, when I've 
interviewed Stewie a number of times. He goes, when I first found out I was in the All Blacks, mate, I was on the urinal, and uh, somebody mentioned it. Yeah, and I basically uh, ended up, um, yeah, ended up uh, urinating all over myself. Um, yeah, it tells a great story anyway. The great Stu Wilson, wonderful time, wonderful era. 18 minutes away from 10, you're listening to SENZ, the telephone number 0800 150811. Can't sing. Anyway, Graham, good evening, welcome. Oh, good day, Mark. How are you? Good, buddy. Yeah, good discussion. I just came home and uh, but I caught part of it. Yeah, no, I remember in 1989, Bruce Dean's played a test down here for against the French, you know, and he played for Glenmark. Yeah, the next day, you know, and that was, you know, right up to the early 90s. Um, you know, players did that, you know, and Braden Eno was another one who doesn't play much rugby. I think apparently he's been released to play for Canterbury this weekend. But um, yeah, this this whole situation, I know we've talked about it for nine on ten years, you and I, but. But it doesn't get highlighted enough, you know. And, you know, the story about Stu Wilson after the third test against South Africa in 81, you know. Um, and that, that, that went on for generations, you know. They played for their clubs sometimes too, like I just said. And, um, you know, some of these guys do, aren't getting rugby, and that's the problem, you know. Um, I mean, Geordie Barrett, I mean, he did brilliantly at second five, but he'd been playing, whether rightly or wrongly, at fullbacks. He'd been playing. So, um <laughs> Some oh. of these other guys aren't getting lost to rugby. No, well, I mean, you look at Popper Leahy, you look at um, you look at Hoskins Satutu, and you know Satutu gets a few people ask, you know, criticising him. It's like, well, he hasn't played. He hasn't damn well played, mate. You know, pick your team on Tuesday, pick your team on Tuesday, and then release the rest to go and play yep. wherever they need to play. But let them play a full season of Super Rugby. As I said, they'll pick up an injury ground, they'll have a week off anyway, you know? Exactly. I, I, I cannot think of any other sports competition in the world where your best players don't play. It doesn't happen in the NFL, it doesn't happen in baseball, it doesn't happen in American gridiron, it doesn't happen in the English Premier League, and it certainly doesn't happen in the professional clubs in England when it comes to rugby as well. And how has no. it benefited us this year, Graeme? How did it benefit us oh, in 2019? Well, it hasn't. And in 2007, you know, um, and Graham Henry admitted he got it wrong, but they, they stood, what was it, the top 30 players or whatever it was, down behalf the competition. And, you know, the Crusaders were doing quite well till the eight or nine that were in the team came back and they were half the players that they were mm. <laughs> the previous year. Um, you know, they looked soft. They looked, um, well, they looked, well, looked but, they've, been, they've been in a gym and that, that happened to all the years. And it's that well, happened, of course, look, look at, after, the competition. Uh, Graham, after nine o'clock, I had uh, a colleague of mine, a world rowing commentator on, and we were talking about Emma Twig. Now, Emma Twig finished yep. second at the individual scales, but that was the first competition she had had because of COVID and from injury. So she hadn't been able to do any of the World Cups, and she finished second. That's exactly my point. Now, if she had had some World Cups and had had some lead in races, she might have won that event. But you cannot expect athletes to come in and be at their best when they're not playing. Roger Tuivasa-Sheik, go on the New Zealand A Tour and play. Lester Vianganuku, go on the New Zealand A Tour and play, and play every week. You know, these guys yeah. are not going to get a start, man. Yeah, I mean, Seve Reese came off the bench, uh, uh, didn't he, on Saturday. Mm. So he should be immediately still released to play for Tasman. But I bet you there's a chance they'll say, oh, he played on Saturday night yeah. for the All Black. So you, he can't play. But you, I mean, that is just bloody Yeah, ridiculous. but you watch next year, Super Rugby, Listifying Anuku, all of those players that were named in that squad will be told, Graham, oh, you have still have to have the mandatory week off. And then they would have been injured for two weeks, like it happened with Bowden Barrett this year. It's just absolutely nuts. Hey, look, Graham, I'm behind on my commercial break, so we're going to have to no, keep no. it short, but I will leave it there, buddy. Thank you. Yep.
Thanks, yeah, mate. Good, man. Okay. No problem. Talk another time. See you, mate. Cheers. Yep, bye. Yep, bye. Hey, really, really good text that Chris has sent in, and thank you, Chris, and thank you for everybody that sent texts in. Watto, you're bang on. In the NRL, the best players play from round one right through to round 26 and finals. They often also then play State of Origin on a Wednesday and then back up for their club that weekend. They still do the sponsorship stuff, etc., as well, and that's the best comp in Australia as we get to see the best players playing for their local area every week. Then they have a full long break from October to March, which also makes us miss it like the NFL. All Blacks and pro rugby players are managed so much they can't even give a good interview. Brilliant, Chris. Well said. Over-resourced, pampered, um, brainwashed. Uh, the only thing I will say about rugby league is that I still believe a lot of guys can play for 80 minutes. I never understood why you take your best players off the field for 60 minutes, particularly after 60 minutes, or only play them for 60 of the 80 minutes, particularly when you're coming up against a side that maybe across the park is better than you. In those situations, you want your best players. Trust me, if you can do an Ironman, if you can run 201 for a marathon, if man can do this, rugby players can play 80 minutes in both codes. But rugby league certainly do it a lot better than rugby union.